Hey that tech pod listeners, uh, we just wanted to drop into your podcast feeds um, and into this episode because guess what? December is giving week here at that te- tech pod. We are sharing charities each week that we are giving to and we encourage you to give to. It doesn't have to be these, these exact charities, but we do encourage you to pick one or join us in the ones that we are talking about. And today uh, we're going to talk about Kevin's. Uh, charity that he is uh, picking. So Kevin, tell us a little bit about the charity and why you chose it and why you think people should give to it. Sure. I chose uh, Girls Who Code. Um, it's a nonprofit aimed at encouraging um, girls to study STEM um, and specifically you know, computer science and, and um, different things along those lines. Um, they run a series of classes and basically, you know, girls can sign up um, and, and do some of the, you know, the different things where they'll learn different aspects of coding. Um, I, I have two, you know, I have three kids, but uh, two girls and they specifically have both done uh, some of these classes and they actually think it's really been beneficial for them. And I definitely think it's something that I personally want to encourage. Um, and so for me, um, I definitely think it's something that we should donate to, um, you know, because you, you don't have to be an, uh, an advanced user. You can be a newbie um, and you can sign up and there's a series of like clubs where you can spend uh, one or two hours basically just kind of getting in there and really working through uh, the different technologies. Um, they run them from all ages. I think, you know, as, as young as um, kindergarten all the way up, um, I think, through high school. Um, so I think it's a really interesting organization. Um, and I think they've helped, you know, a couple hundred thousand girls basically get into STEM, which I am uh, very excited and into. Yeah. Awesome choice, Kev. Girls Who Code. We will put all of that info in the show notes and in our mail out. If you don't know what our mail out is, what are you doing with your life? Go to www.thattechpod.com and enter in your email where it says join our newsletter. Uh, you can't miss it. And now... Back to the show. We discuss all things e-discovery, cybersecurity, data privacy, tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein, and I know a little bit about technology. And I'm Gabby Schulte, and I know a lot about technology. And you know what? I'm just excited to be here with you, Laura. (laughs) This is going to be an exciting day just because of Gabby's excitement. So with that (laughs) being said, we bring on heavy hitters in the industry to help us break down these topics. And today, Gabby... Who are we talking to? Today we're having on Damien Filiatro. Damien is the founder and CEO of Scalable Path, a software staffing agency that matches leading companies and startups with vetted remote software developers. Damien, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you are um, software software staffing expert. How did you get to this point in your life? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I think I, the, the, the story that, that started Scalable Path comes back to when I was managing a team of developers in India. And I was up late at night on my laptop you know, at 11 or midnight every night talking to my company back in the U.S. And it wasn't awesome. And 
When I got back to the US after that stint, I started working more with developers in Latin America and it worked really well because of the time zone and a bit more because of the, the culture as well. And uh, I ended up teaming up with some guys in Argentina initially. This was like 12 years ago. And we grew from there, um, ended up... Um, you know, building a platform where developers and designers can create profiles and tell us about what kind of skills they have. And, you know, we've now got over 25,000 people that have created profiles in the platform. So that's a little quick summary, how we got where we are. That's exciting. Um, so for you specifically, you kind of got to this place, you're in this role right now. And one of the big challenges that you have is really figuring out how, how do I know this is a good developer? How can you, you know, see that? So a lot of times when a company hires you, they're doing a background check, they're looking at your resume, they're validating the information that you have there. But my resume can say, you know, I've had eight years as a developer. I went to this school to get certified to be able to do that. But it doesn't actually mean that I'm good at my job. How can you tell that people are actually good at what they're doing? Yeah, I think you can never 100% tell with anyone because people are really crafty. Uh, but you can get a pretty good sense. And uh, the best way that I've come up with, or not just me, but my team and probably other people in the business, and this just doesn't, doesn't only go for software development. It's kind of common sense when you think about it. You want to just have somebody do for a short period of time exactly what you want them to do in the job, and then you can see if they can do it. <laughs> right. So what we do is we try to understand what the job is going to entail. Like what is it for a developer? It's like, what technologies are they going to be using in this job? What are they going to be doing? And we'll take the most important ones and we'll do an hour long exercise where they get on a zoom and share their screen and they just get the exercise. And we're like, okay, build this, build this right now. How would you do it? And we watch them build it and we can talk about why they did what they did. And if they did a good job, we're like, hey, actually, yeah, you can do this. So mm -hmm. th that's that's in contrast to a lot of, um, you know, what's happened historically in, in interviews in the tech industry. Like, you know, they'd be like, solve this really hard algorithmic problem, right? Like that you might... Even if I, I got a computer science degree, like I, I can barely remember this stuff, you know, or I, it's a high pressure. It's something you'd pretty much, I can say with confidence, never do in your job. So yeah, it might judge if you're like really, I don't know, really into data structures or if you crammed by studying algorithms or I don't know, like maybe exceptionally smart person or something, but it doesn't really judge if you can build a web application. So, you know, there's a lot of, or, or like you mentioned, credentials, right? Like they don't, we don't really care like if you didn't even get a degree, right? Like as long as you can do it, we don't really care. So, yeah, if you have a good degree, that's going to be like, okay, yeah, we got a little more confidence. Uh, like you made it through that program. You got into that program. Like, 
you obviously probably learned something in there. It's more about, can you actually do it? And let's just take some time and, and see if you can. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I prob- probably could uh, work across industries um, and and everything like that. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about like where we're at today. Obviously, um, the past few years, remote work has been, uh, you know, booming uh, due to the pandemic. But even afterward, you know, as we're seeing us um, hopefully cross fingers coming out of the other side of that, um, people kind of staying remote or at least mm-hmm. a hybrid sort of thing. So I wanted to ask what what are some of the misconceptions about hiring remote developers? Um, and yeah, what, what can you dispel for us there? Well, there's, I want to, before I talk about like, you know, dispelling those remote myths, I, I just want to talk a little bit about remote and in general. And um, sure. I'm just super into it. And I think that people are too, generally, like most people just really love the ability to like work where they want and, and, and the, the time that they get back in their life and the freedom and they're not spending money on gas, including the environment on their way to the office. And, the companies don't have to pay for the office space. And it's it, it's just, there's so many great things about it that I think it's just not going away. You know, like a lot of companies are trying to rope people in and they're getting pushback from, from their people. And then there's like, okay, well now it's hybrid. You know, I, I just want to point out that people love it. And there's, that's the biggest reason. And there's a ton of other great reasons to do it. And so in my world of like software startups, it's just the norm now. It's, 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 and I I think other industries are kind of dragging their feet about it, but eventually they're going to come around and it's going to be even more prevalent than it is today. But so what are some of the misconceptions? I, I think, you know, back in the like nineties when sort of remote software development started, it wasn't, it was, was called outsourcing. And like, you know, it was like, Oh, let's write some specs and give it to a company in India and hope that it goes well. And like, it often didn't. And, you know, there was sort of a, a, some weird baggage that comes with that whole period of like outsourcing. And I think, things have really changed over the decades about like how to do things well with like remote people. And I think that the companies that are really embracing remote and just not caring really whether someone's like a full-time direct employee in the office, or maybe they're a contractor in the office, or maybe they're a contractor that's not in the office, they're somewhere else. It, it doesn't really matter like what putting a label on them, as long as like you have everybody using tools that work for remote. Like if, if even if the people, the people in the office are, you know, using the, the task tracker and Slack and all the remote tools and you, everybody is on a level playing field. And everybody just gets together as a team um, in an agile way and just tries to get 
great work done together and, and you're not sort of labeling someone as you're a contractor or you're remote and, and kind of making those distinctions, those companies are, are going to win in this as opposed to the people who kind of fight it and maybe kind of treat their remote people differently or their remote contractors differently and create barriers. Maybe there's like meetings in the office where people can't get the information or they're using tools that remote people can't really access. So, um, yeah, I think that the, the misconception that I would dispel is that it has to be something separate that, that the way to think of it now is just, we're all working together as a team and it doesn't really matter if you're remote or whether you're part of the company technically or not. Yeah. Teamwork is the dream work. Yep. Uh, so for all of the people listening that listen on a regular basis, um, they should know by now that I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, definitely my social media of choice. And um, pretty recently on LinkedIn, there was this guy whose resume was going viral all over LinkedIn. And just like take a minute to be like, what? Why is his resume? And was his resume like an incredible resume like his background no but it was uniquely done so he was a developer and he wanted to be seen he wanted people to know that he could do what he was doing and stand out so his resume is by far the close resume because it's a link and you click on the link and all of a sudden you're in what looks like mario or like one of those like early 90s versions of like you know like a playland and you're a player and you walk around in this land like you use the control pad and you move and then you get to a place and it's like click here to know his bio or and then it like leads you through the like the game to each thing his background his skills the tools like throughout this <laughs> it's amazing i was just yeah. like i'd like to hire him to build my bio but the, or to build my cv but then people would be like you're not a developer and I'd be like i just want to land i just want my own little like this is my metaverse um and so i think a lot of people are trying to showcase their skills and put their stuff out there in a real way but you mentioned a lot of things about like outsourcing we don't outsource um I think a lot of companies are still very much outsourcing. So this is kind of a two-part question. And so it's, you can find people like him that are really putting their stuff out there. And then you have a million people that are applying for jobs on a regular basis that you have to figure out, how do I validate these things? So this is a two-part thing. One, if you're not looking, you know, people would go to India, Philippines, as even you had mentioned, but you mentioned that you're sometimes going to Latin America. Do you think mm -hmm. that's now where people are going? And then if you're not going over there and you're staying and you're hiring people that are remote, but maybe they're in the U.S. and you're focused on that, or maybe the client says, I want U.S. based, they can be mm -hmm. remote, but I want them to be U.S. based. How do you overcome some of the communication issues of being remote? You mentioned things like Slack, and these are great tools that people can kind of use, but how do you know people are working? I mean, if there isn't a CRM metrics-based solution, as a developer, you know based on what is complete, I would assume, but some of those projects can take months. So during that time, how do you actually know that what's happening is happening and does it make a difference if they're US-based or 
out of the U.S. where maybe the time zone's different? Like, how does that, how does that work? Okay, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, so I'll grab one topic out of there, which is like, how do you know if people are working, right? Um, in the past, I think we could be lazy about it. You know, you could you could be a manager and just be like, okay, who's coming in when? Whose butt's there? Who looks like they're working? Like, um, it's kind of easy, you know, who, what, check in and check out, clock in, clock out, right? And now that we're in this remote world, yeah, it's harder to know, right? Um, so we have to do now what we should have been doing then, but we we kind of got away with not doing it, which is tracking performance, right? And um, so then you think, okay, how am I going to track performance? And I think there's, it's totally important to a business to track performance um, and healthy, um, but you have to track things that are meaningful and fair and not creepy, right? So like, for example, if you are a salesperson, um, you know, you might say like, all right, well, how many widgets did you sell last month? That's a totally legit thing to track. Like, it, and, and you communicate that to the person and you say, this is how we're going to evaluate you in your job. You have to sell this many widget or the more widgets. And then you're like, yeah, that's pretty much my job. So I can't really argue with that. And then you know, you reward people or promote people or keep people that, that sell lots of widgets, you know, for other jobs, it might be a, other positions that might be more challenging. Developer development kind of falls in the sort of middle zone where there's some things you can track and some are valid and the valid ones can be harder to quantify you have to actually have some good tooling in place and it can be challenging but i think it's possible and the easy ones are creepy right so like the easy ones are like and this is another jobs too like how many are you typing on your keyboard right now you know is your mouse moving you know what app are you using or what what's the screenshot of your screen right now and i think there's lots of people doing that and just like the um what we talked about before where, you know, companies are trying to tell you to come into the office. Well, companies can try to tell people that they're going to track you like this. But the thing is, employees have a lot of power in the relationship too. And if they don't like feeling surveilled, they're going to leave. And so I think that um, you shouldn't be doing the big brother stuff and you should be coming up with meaningful metrics for a developer. It could be like, you know, if you're working in an agile environment, one thing we have is like when you like you're planning a sprint, right? You're planning a, a development sprint and you say, okay, okay, here's the 10 features we're going to get done as a team in the next two weeks. And then at the beginning of that sprint, you might say, all right, you do something, maybe there's something called planning poker where you say like, okay, this feature is worth five points and this feature is worth three points and this feature is worth seven points. And then people can choose what feature they want to work on. And, and there's, you know, you got to do a little work up front to, to reasonably accurately give a point value to uh, a task, but then at the end of the month, you could say, okay, how many points, how many story points did you 
complete this month. And that could be a reasonable measure of a developer's productivity. And another thing you can do, which is, is just stay involved, you know, and I've said the word agile a couple of times, and there's lots of flavors of that. But I really do believe in a daily standup or a daily call where you just get together really quick with everybody and you talk about what they did yesterday and what they're doing now and, and if they have questions and just stay involved. Um, so you can talk to them every day and hear what's going on and have a catalyst for conversation. And so you can get a sense if they're doing their job. And another one, um, which is kind of eluding me right now, but I had it a second ago is how are people getting things? How do you know people are getting things? Oh, yes. It's, um, make them, you know, at the very beginning of a project, it can be tough because you're setting up like, you have to set up the dev environment. You got to set up your local environment. You got to create the database so that you can go you can go a little while without seeing results at the beginning of a project. But once you get everything sort of rolling, you want to be like, have them deploy features to a development environment regularly, like at least once a week. So you as like the person who's managing them can see the work and act. It's not like you're just taking their word for, oh yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're seeing progress. And so if you do these sort of things, it's a lot getting on the daily scrum and seeing the progress. That's the easy stuff to do. And everyone should be doing that. Um, setting up tooling for like story points and tracking that on a monthly basis. I mean, tracking commits in GitHub or in Git is a reasonable metric, I think, to, to track. Um, anyway, I'll stop talking now. That was a... No, you're, that's perfectly fine. Um, no, I think that, I think you brought up a really, um, interesting point that's a little bit broader than what we're talking about right now, which is kind of like employee power. Mm -hmm. Um, that's actually something that I've been really interested in. Like I was, we've been seeing like during the pandemic, you know, there's, there's all this kind of talk about, the labor force having, um, you know, a, a newfound sense of power in, mm -hmm. in the relationship um, in, in generations, really, because because of the uh, specific um, market that we're seeing um, out of the pandemic. So what are some of the things that you think, I mean, obviously, the, the benefits to that is, uh, you know, on the side of workers in the sense that, yeah, you need me to work while I want a, a, pay, a, a livable wage and, and better working conditions and all of those things. But what do you foresee um, as maybe setbacks to, to some of that as a, as a business owner yourself, as a company? Um, and then also what are some like maybe exciting things that uh, you like about, about that sort of shift in what we're seeing? Yeah, it's kind of political, you know? I mean, uh, I think, yeah, as a business owner, um, if, if you're just trying to focus on profit, you know, and, and, and like, if you're, if you're running a business that's kind of, I mean, I don't know, oppressive, you might not be able to do that anymore. I don't know. Uh, as a business owner myself, yeah, I do notice that, that costs have gone up, you know, because for example, I was hiring developers in Latin America 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and 
there was, it was kind of off the radar then. Um, and, you know, people thought about Eastern Europe and India and we weren't really going to Latin America too much. And there, there was a large population of younger people who had gotten a, a technical education and spoke good English and were, but weren't really tapped into the U S market or the, you know, the global market and the rates were better. And then, you know, when I really noticed it, a shift when the pandemic hit and, um, you know, a bunch of U S companies were like, okay, I'm now I'm working remote. I just had to, I, I, I never considered myself a remote company. And now I'm, now I am, and I'm working with, my developers remotely. And then they're like, wait a minute, why am I just limiting myself to the U S and then they started going to Latin America. Cause it's like the same experience. You're still just chatting with that person on Slack and they're joining your meeting in the same time zone. And so I saw people leaving, like people were going, Oh yeah, I got a job from this U S company, you know, and there was more competition and it's um, so as an employer, yeah. When, when people have more, power in the relationship they can they can ask for a raise and if they don't get it they'll leave and, and you get turnover um and you have to pay more and give more um so yeah it can be challenging but um that's how it is you know um and i i'm not against it i think maybe the power was shifted a little much but i mean you look back on history i mean we freaking force people to work without pay on a farm you know yeah. that was just like normal you mm -hmm. know and so over time people then there were like labor you know then we abolished slavery right and mm -hmm. then there were like labor unions and then like there it's been trending that way over history but i think it's i think that maybe it's not um equal throughout all industries either. I mean, knowledge workers have a more power, I think, because they are the scarcer resource. And, and, and I think if you don't have uh, a really, you know, desirable skill set, you might not ha have the same um, empowerment. So it's not spreading equally necessarily. Yeah, um, I think you've given us a lot to think about. So processing all of that. But um, before we let you go, I did want to ask you one more question that's sort of a two part. So the first is, and, and I think I touched upon it with you and asked this a little bit, but you keep talking about Latin America. And I, I'm curious, like, do you think that that's the next uh, landscape for talent? Do you think people are no longer going to India and the Philippines and they are really focused on Latin America? And then the second thing that I was curious about is, so um, in companies that I've worked for, we've had recruiting companies that they would put people into the company, but at the same time, they would also poach others while they're there. How do you overcome trust issues with staffing firms? Okay, so the first question about Latin America, yeah, it's absolutely, I would say, the fastest growing um, tech market or geography. Um, you know, as it, as it was like India, then Eastern Europe, and then those were the two biggies. And then Latin America, I think, has really come into its own and it's a thing now. And it's it's awesome for time zone and cultural uh, perspective. I mean, just the result of our, uh, you know, colonial history, we have like 
similar Western European, you know, communication styles and, and values that, that create sort of a cultural affinity there that, that, uh, is useful. And, um, you know, I've even seen like companies that were in Eastern Europe and Russia, they're like, Hey, maybe I need to like, you know, not have all my developers in Ukraine right now. <laughs> you know, like, so we've seen companies like trying to like maybe move to Latin America because of the political instability over there. Um, but, uh, the other question was about people getting poached or was that the question? Like, how do I trust? Yeah. So a lot of times a recruiter will uh, come and, and bring people into my company. I have a company and they give me people. I'm like, this is great. At the same time, because they're being introduced to my company, they're also poaching other employees from my company to oh. put them in others because a lot of that's how they're making their money is we keep you oh. here for a set amount of time. We move you here. Okay. How do you prevent that from happening? Like, like how do I not do that? <laughs> or like, I, or because do I'm not. You, do you do that? No. So I we're. So we our model first. is not. Um, you know, we do. We're sort of like a hybrid between like a recruiter and maybe like a marketplace. Like you might think of like Upwork or Fiverr or something like that, where you have a bunch of people, but um, or a platform, right? And then there's or just like an agency, like a staffing agency. But if 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 you looked at our contracts, we kind of behave more like a staffing agency. We, so we, you know, the clients like pay us and then we pay the developers. So, and we have in our contracts, we say like, we're not going to take your people and you're not going to take our people. Okay. And even though in California, like those clauses are largely unenforceable, um, they are sort of a gentleman's agreement, I would say. Like, Hey, you know, we're, we're getting into this just sort of saying like, don't poach our people and we won't poach yours. Right. And so that's what I operate by. And I, you know, and it, um, and we're incentivized to keep that relationship good because we want to keep the developers that they're hiring from us like there for a long time. Um, so we're not a traditional recruiter. And so that's not really my world. And I'm, I'm not dealing with that sort of those sort of incentives where the, like the recruiters are like, get paid a lump sum when someone changes a job. Uh, like I, that doesn't, that, that incentive is not in my personal world. So I don't think, uh, yeah, but I could see how that could happen to come to companies that are working with more of a traditional headhunter type of recruiter. Yeah. Well, Damien, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Okay, Laura. So we are. We just talked to uh, Damien, founder and CEO of Scalable Path. He's all about software staffing. Um, tell me your tech takeaways. And just to note for listeners who aren't um, viewing us on YouTube, uh, our education expert Kevin is here as well. Hi, Kevin. Hey. So yeah, Laura, yeah. you hit us first and then we'll hear Man. This isn't a topic that really engages me, to be honest. Like for everyone listening, 
listening this wasn't when he came on gabby really wanted to bring him on so i was like all right let's see and i would say he did change my mind a little bit i i wasn't really sure i, I think we talk a lot about remote work and we talk about staffing but i'm i like more tech heavy episodes and i think he did give me something to think about one of the questions i actually kevin want you to be able to answer if you can is he really focused on the new landscape of being latin america that's honestly the first time i've heard that i still hear hear people saying, you know, India and Philippines. Um, and that was interesting to me. I also think it's, it is interesting when you look at developers, how he's kind of like, we get on an hour session and we basically prove it, prove to me, you can actually do this. I wish companies did that for like all career paths and not even just in like, you have an awesome resume, show me your skills, but let's give some people a chance that don't have amazing resumes, but maybe at home have been really tone, uh, like honing in on these skill sets and actually can do an amazing job and just nobody knows because their resume didn't hit the algorithm correctly. So I think more and more people should be actually tested before starting an actual career, both people that have the experience experience um, on the CVs and resumes and those that, that don't. But Kevin, um, tell us, you know, break it down for everyone. Yeah, I agree on that a lot, actually. I think oftentimes companies will do like personality tests and they do things like that, you know, to try to vet people, but they don't really do like that actual on hands-on skill test. And so I actually do think that's an interesting idea, especially for some of these industries where you could study online, you could, you know, do things in class and things like that. There obviously are industry, you know, from the discovery side is hard because it's not like it's a lot of these tools are readily available, but for software development, I do feel like those tools are readily available out there. And so it is really a skill that you don't need to necessarily go to college for. You don't really necessarily need, you know, to to have the the in-class training to be able to learn. And so I do think that's, you know, certainly that can really work. But your question regarding, you know, Latin America, I actually thought that was really interesting as well. I mean, you're you're 100% right. Our industry is really focused on India, focused on the Philippines for uh, legal process outsourcing. And so it is interesting to kind of hear his thoughts on Latin America and all. The biggest thing that in the past that we've had with some of the legal process outsourcing is communication issues, overcoming either language barriers or time zone issues, or oftentimes you find that folks will follow your directions to a T, but if something goes awry, they have trouble sort of thinking outside the box or taking things to the next level. And so you really have to kind of manage that team really hands-on very directly to make sure that there's not going to be mistakes. So there's not going to be things. So you can truly let go. I mean, otherwise you're just going to be working and managing them directly and they're on a different time zone than you, you end up working 24 seven. And so it's definitely something that I think can work and, and can be done with the right staff and the right teams. Yeah, no, that was really interesting. Um, well, so Laura, if people want to find us, um, if they're remote working and don't know where to look, where, where do they go? They should obviously know this by now, listeners. Um, but if you don't, head over to our website, www.thattechpod.com. Enter your email if you have not to subscribe so you don't miss anything going on. Get some merchandise, make great decisions in life, and, and tell us about them by reaching out to us at contact at thattechpod.com. Head over to LinkedIn slash thattechpod, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, anywhere that you can find us or create us and tell your friends, family members, and strangers, you should do that. Gabby, is there anything else that they can do? Yeah, 
you can uh, go over, mosey on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast, and give us a five-star rating and review. We would love you forever. Um, Laura, Kevin, it's been a pleasure. See ya. See ya.